Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 58. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, he is risen. He is risen. Today is a day of unchecked, unregulated celebration as we recognize and celebrate. We do it every Sunday, but especially this Sunday, that the tomb is empty and that our Lord and Savior's body is not buried in the ground somewhere, for he's risen from the grave. And we believe that this truth of the resurrection, it changes everything, that it changes the course of human history. It changes our hope for the future. It changes our hope for today. And so today is a day of celebration, pure celebration. As was mentioned, we've already baptized, I think, 24 people. Um, we're going to baptize 14 more or something like that. And so the people in charge told me that my time was limited up here to make sure that we could get the services done in time. And so all I want to do this morning with you guys is I want to hold three truths in light of Jesus' resurrection, three truths, three promises that are given to us from 1 Corinthians 15. And I know some of you, you haven't been to church in a really long time. I want to say thanks for coming. And some of you may be in your mind, when you think of church, you think of boatloads of bad news. That's where I go to feel bad about myself or bad about all. No, no, no. Today, it's nothing but good news. I just got good news for you. Three things. Number one. The first piece of good news, the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means that we will live forever. The resurrection of Jesus means that we will live forever. Because the claim and the promise of the resurrection, it's not just that Jesus came back to life. The claim and the promise of the resurrection is that he's the first fruits, that he's the first of many. That, that through him, death itself, as Paul writes right here, will one day fully and finally be swallowed up, Paul says, in victory. It'll be done away with. Death will be absolutely gone. Right now, death is still a reality, but death is still an enemy, as Paul says, but he's a defeated enemy. Even for us today, our, our eternal hope is that death will be no more. But even today, when we consider death, Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 15, is telling us death has been defanged. It's lost its real power and its poison. When he says the sting of death is sin, 
The sting mentioned here is likened elsewhere in Scripture to the venom of a scorpion or a snake. And so what the image Paul's putting before us is, you know, if a black mamba were to bite you, it's the most venomous snake in the world, or one of, if it were to bite you, its teeth sinking into you would hurt. But the real sting, the real damage would be done through the venom that it would inject into you. And what Paul is saying is that through the resurrection of Jesus, there's no venom left. And so through death, there's still, it's still going to hurt a little bit. It's still not optimal, but it's lost its sting. Well, what's the sting? What's the venom? What's the poison of death? I'll tell you what it is. It's fear. It's fear of separation. It's the fear of being cut off. That's why we, are, we fear death, right? We, we're afraid of being cut off from this land, the land of the living. We fear being separated from people we love and never seeing them again. And whether we realize it or not, we fear being separated from God, the author of life and the source of all light. That's the sting. And if you have those fears, death is terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. But Paul's saying here, you don't have to be terrified because the sting, Jesus took the sting. Jesus actually on the cross experienced the separation. He swallowed the venom so we wouldn't have to. And because he did that for us, we can have full assurance that when our hearts stop beating, we don't cease to exist. We don't travel into the great unknown. Instead, we actually enter into a truer and deeper existence in the presence of God. Paul, here in 1 Corinthians 15, he refuses to speak of those who've passed on as having died because they're not dead. When Paul speaks of those who've passed on, he speaks of them as having fallen asleep. And that's, I know we live in a culture that doesn't like to talk about death, we try to avoid thinking about death at all costs, even though it's the one thing we all have in common is we are all going to die. Paul's not afraid to talk about death, and he's not just offering some euphemism because it's polite conversation when we've fallen asleep. He's saying, literally, these people, when their hearts stop beating, they, don't cease to, they do not cease to exist. Right? Either their bodies kind of fall asleep while their spirits go and be with God, but they're alive and well. And the promise of the resurrection is that there is a day coming when God's going to make all things new and he's going to give us renewed bodies. And so when someone dies right now, the scriptures teach their spirit goes to be with God. Their body's going to go on the earth. But the day is coming when they're going to, the bodies are going to raise out of the grave. Not like zombies like in popular culture. But we're actually going to be given new bodies. Paul, that's what he's saying here in verse 52. He says, the trumpet will sound on the last day. The dead will be raised imperishable. That's such a good word, imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable body, the bodies we have right now, they all go bad, like a gallon of milk or a loaf of bread. The perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. And so on the last day, we're going to be given these bodies that don't, they don't wear down. They don't break. They don't fall apart. They don't get cancer. They don't die. They last forever. They're imperishable and immortal. 
And Paul, he wants us to know, and I want you to know, that the hope and the promise of the resurrection is you do not have to fear death if you are in Christ. The author of Hebrews actually says that one of the reasons Jesus died was to set us free from our fear of death. And when I was younger, when I was really young, I thought about dying a lot. I was terrified. And then my 20s, life was good. Most of my 30s. Now I find myself thinking more about my own mortality. I'm just coming to that place in life of recognizing I'm not going to be here forever. And sooner or later, if you're not there already, you're going to experience that too. We have hope beyond the grave. We have hope of eternal life. One of our pastors, he, he's worked in hospice for years, sat with dozens of people on their deathbeds, and he'll tell you he's encountered two different kinds of people on their deathbeds. Some are in great distress with great fear, great anxiety, and even anger. And then there are others who are at peace, filled with joy, and even kind of like, let's, let, let's, let's, let's do this. I'm ready. And the big difference is those at peace, they've built their life upon the promises of God and the word of God and the community of God's people. Those with anger and anxiety, they've spent their life chasing after perishable things that, like these current bodies, all fade. So number one, resurrection of Jesus. It means that we can be like the people at peace because Jesus has promised that we will live forever. We never die. Number two, along with that, the resurrection of Jesus means that not only will we never die, but this world will one day be made new. Some of you, maybe you grew up in a church that taught you to hate everything about the world, you know, and just you love God who's abstract, and our future hope is that we will all be spirits who float around. That might be some religion, but that's not what the Bible teaches. The Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Here, on earth, as it is in heaven. Well, the real promise of the resurrection is that what happened to Jesus, that was a foretaste, what Paul calls the first fruit, of resurrection. Here's what that means. We don't use the term first fruit because we don't live in an agrarian culture and, and because we never have to worry about having enough food to eat, at least most of us, it's hard for us to understand the magnitude of this illustration when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit. In an agrarian culture, in a culture where, you know, you literally plowed your money into the ground in hopes of a future harvest, everything was about the harvest. All of your hopes depended on the harvest. You being able to pay your bills depended on the harvest coming in. You being able to feed your children depended on the harvest coming in. And so in the Old Testament, you can look, there's so many festivals that were established around the harvest because when the harvest would start coming in, it was a time for incredible joy. Why? Because your future was secure. And when you had that first fruit, that first ear of corn, that first apple, that first tomato, whatever it was, when you got the first apple and you pulled it off the tree and you bit into it, it would taste so amazing. It would taste better than any apple ever. Why? Because you were tasting your future. You were tasting your hope. You were tasting just the beginning, the first apple of what's going to be thousands and thousands of apples. 
In the same way, Jesus Christ, he's the first apple from the tree. And Paul's saying there's a whole harvest of resurrection. And this boggles our mind. What's this going to be like? What's it going to be like when, when everything's make, made new? Jesus said, I am making all things new. What's that going to be like? I don't know. The Bible gives us some images to help us wrap our minds around it. One is a picture of a lion and a lamb laying down together. Another is a kid playing with a poisonous snake. But there's peace and there's no fear with them. Another is the trees singing and clapping their hands. If trees are going to sing and clap their hands, can you imagine what we're going to be doing? And Paul's saying we know this because Jesus walked out of the grave and he changed the course of history. I tried to find ways to explain this to my kids. I have five kids and... Uh, I'd gotten one of them a rock tumbler for Christmas. Uh, tells you anything about my parenting. Maybe some of you are like, that's awesome. Others are like, really? They must love you. Uh, but if you've never used a rock tumbler before, you basically get these jagged, kind of ugly, plain-looking rocks. You put them in this contraption, and it spins them around for a while with some grit, and as they rub against each other, these really dull-looking, boring-looking rocks, after a few weeks, you look, and they're really they're beautiful. I mean, I, I've done dozens of batches of rocks in my life, and every time I'm still kind of amazed. Like, this is amazing. The, the jagged parts, the cracks, they all get polished off. And so my kids were asking, like, what, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? And I told them he's going to polish the world. And they love that illustration, and they ask me all the time, Dad, when Jesus polishes the world, like, it's just become part of their vocabulary. Well, we can have full assurance that Jesus is going to polish this world because he rose from the grave and he conquered death. He stopped it in its tracks. So the resurrection means, number one, we live forever. Number two, that God's going to give us a new world where we're going to live and dwell with him forever, which is beyond our comprehension. And then third and finally, the last truth of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus means that our work on this earth, in service of God, is never in vain. The resurrection means that our work, our labor for the Lord on this earth, is never wasted and it's never in vain. Paul, he writes this chapter, and if, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, that's okay. If you are, you, you probably know 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the densest, hardest chapters in the entire Bible. It's all about resurrection art. Jesus is ours. You could spend hours and hours studying it. But the big point is, Jesus rose from the grave. All who believe in him, they will raise from the grave. And eventually, God's going to make everything new. Resurrection's going to spread everywhere. And so, Paul writes this really long chapter, and then he gives one application. And I'm a preacher, and so I would say, if, if I was turning that into a sermon, the application would be, put your hope and your confidence in the promises of God and what he has promised to do in the future. But Paul's a better preacher than I am. Because Paul doesn't do that. Paul ends this long chapter about the future by saying, Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So God making this world new, there's somehow a connection between what we do here and now in this life and the work of renewal that God's going to do. 
somehow everything we do in the Lord today is going to carry over into God's renewed creation. And that's mysterious. Like, how does that all work? We don't know. One, one theologian who's a lot smarter than me writes very bluntly. He says, I have no idea what precisely this will mean in practice. I love his honesty. But then he goes on and he helps stir our imaginations. He says, I don't know what musical instruments we shall have to play Bach in God's new world, though I'm sure Bach's music will be there. I don't know how the painting an artist paints today in prayer and wisdom will find a place in God's new world. I don't know how our work for justice, for the poor, will reappear in that new world. But I know that God's new world of justice and joy, of hope for the whole earth, was launched when Jesus came out of the tomb on Easter morning. And I know that he calls his followers to live in him and by the power of his spirit and so to be new creation people here and now, bringing signs and symbols of the kingdom to birth on earth as it is in heaven. I love that phrase. Stirs so much in me. We bear signs and witnesses to what Jesus has promised to do. But a lot of it's mysterious how it carries over. Not all of it's mysterious, though. And that's what I want to close and leave you with. We're baptizing so many people today. And as each person's being baptized, I want us to remember that every single one of these people were helped on their journey of faith by others. Others invested in them. Others labored on their behalf. Some, some people being baptized are children. Their parents have spent years praying with them and investing in them. And they've responded by wanting to be baptized. And I'll tell you, as a dad with a bunch of little kids, that's really encouraging for me. Because in my mind, I think Bible time with the family, it's going to be this awesome time where they're going to sit down at my feet and listen eagerly and attentively and ask me all sorts of questions and tell me how much they love Jesus. Usually it's me like wrangling them there, screaming at them, you're going to listen to the Bible and you're going to like it. You know, and they don't, it doesn't really help. Um, but sometimes if you've got little kids, you know what it's like. It's hard. Sometimes you wonder, are they hearing anything? Are they, are they actually retaining anything I'm saying? And Paul's saying your labor is not in vain, parents. Other people here are parents who were helped on their faith journey by their children, their grown children, who didn't give up on their parents, but who, through years of love, faithfulness, coming alongside them, praying for them, sharing the gospel, they got to watch their parents come to faith. So if that's you, your labor is not in vain. And there are other people that got baptized today because a neighbor or a coworker took an interest in their life and spent some time with them, were there when they needed help, prayed with them, showed up at their house when they were struggling. Let every baptism remind you that our work of investing in and caring for others, our work in sharing the gospel, as Paul says, none of it's ever done in vain. None of it's wasted. Not one bit. So the three promises, we live forever. We're going to get a new world. God's going to make this world new. And three, our work is never wasted. Now, Jesus, he gave us two sacred symbols by which we remember 
what he's done for us and what he's doing in the world and what he's promised to do. One's baptism, which we'll talk about in a minute. The other is the Lord's Supper. The night before Jesus' crucifixion, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread symbolizes my body that's going to be broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this cup's the cup of my blood that's going to be poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded that Jesus Christ, his body was torn and his heart stopped beating to pay the penalty for our sins. And so if you're here and you trust in Christ, some of you are here and you're visiting you're not a member of this church, but you have put your faith in Christ, we encourage you, if you've trusted in Christ, to come and take part in this meal with us as we celebrate Jesus' sacrifice for us. The way we do communion here is we tear off a piece of the bread, and then we dip it in either the wine or the juice, whichever your conscience permits. If you're here and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, we ask that you not take part in this meal yet. We would love to have you share in the meal with us, share in this meal with us. But before you do, we want you to take part in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. He's offered himself to bring you to God, to bring you peace with God, and to give you hope for your future and the future of this world. If, you, if you're kind of exploring where you are spiritually, we want to invite you. We do this every week. We'd love to invite you to come back. This is a place, you know, we, we work to have low to zero pressure on people, no strings attached. We really believe in what we're talking about, and so we don't feel the need to manipulate or pressure you into things. Just come and see and investigate and see what God might do with that. Lastly, if you're here and you've put your faith in Christ but you've never been baptized, the water's still warm. We've got one more service, and we would love to see you baptized. And so you can come talk to one of the pastors Right now, during communion here, there'll be someone in the office. Uh, go and talk to them. We'd love to see you baptized. I'm going to pray in a minute. If you would like to give, there'll be offering baskets at the end of the communion line. You can do so there. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your great and precious promises. Lord, we thank you that you've, <laughs> you give us so much hope. Hope beyond the grave. Hope beyond this world that's for this world. And I pray that we might respond by grabbing hold of the life that you've put before us. Seeking to honor you and serve you. Maybe, to, Lord, I'm, I'm just praying that we would be people who would live in light of the resurrection and in hope of the future resurrection of all things. May that shape our lives. Lord, we come to your table now, grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. And we come celebrating that his blood will never lose its power.